Well, what's up, Rob Ridge? Hey, my name is Sam Smith. I'm the campus pastor at our Chatsworth campus. Hey, we're pumped that you're here today. Hey, here at Rob Ridge, we are one church in five locations, soon to be six. And one of the things we have coming up this week is our first Wednesday service. We like to say that our first Wednesday service fuels us for the rest of the month. So my invitation is for those of you who've never been to our first Wednesday service, I want to encourage you to check that out. At First Wednesday, we worship, we cast vision, we take communion, and we pray. So let me encourage you. If you've never been there, come check First Wednesday out. So today is also a first. This is the first part of our summer series called Road Trip. And we're glad you're here. <laughs> and not on a road trip. Because uh, one of the things we're going to look at in this series over the next over the summer, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at people. We're going to look at individuals that are on road trips, that are moving from one location to another, or that are in a situation in their life that is a trip, that is a road trip. So one of the things I want to ask you to do, when you came in, you got a bulletin. And every week there's, there's places in the bulletin for you to engage in the message. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do Today is engage, take notes on this bulletin. You can use it in your quiet time. I know JC mentioned about Billy Graham's quiet time last week, so maybe you can use this in your quiet time. So one of the things I want to ask you to do, engage, take notes on this bulletin, but more than that, engage in this scripture. Engage in the text. And just pray a simple prayer right now. Jesus, speak to me, teach me, guide me in next steps that you want me to go. And that's my prayer for you and myself and for all of us in the name of Jesus is that we'll follow him unconditionally. So when we're talking about road trips, all of us today in this room, all of us are in one of three places. You see, we're either in a holding pattern for the next road trip or we're right in the middle of a road trip. It may be something that's awesome in your life. It may be something that just stinks. But you're either beginning or in the middle or maybe coming to the destination. And finally, each road trip has a destination that is reached. It's a destination to the end. And here's the thing about road trips. They're circular. Because when you finish one, when you finish one, you go back to the other, and you're on stage. You're ready for your next road trip. Now, you may be sitting there saying, hey, what do these things look like? What do road trips look like? Well, you see, they can be geographic in nature, meaning you're going from point A to point B. There's actually a move involved. They can be geographic in nature. They can also be career-based. You know, this is the time of year people are, are graduating from, from high school and vo-tech school and college. Maybe you're searching for your first career opportunity. Or maybe you're considering changing careers. Well, that puts you on a road trip. Also, it could be physical challenges. You see, this is one thing we don't even like to talk about, but that's real. People have sickness. They have injuries. They have procedures that they're recovering from, and that's a road trip with our physical body. As a matter of fact, I'm still on that road trip with physical injuries. As a matter of fact, 
for the last three years, I've had six surgeries and three different prosthetic knees. And that's a road trip that I've been on. And bless God, for the last three or four weeks, I've been without a, a walking assistance or a cane. So I'm still on that road trip to recovery with physical issues and challenges. Another road trip could be family challenges. Man, it could be births. It could be deaths. It could be, it could be challenges within your marriage, challenges with kids, challenges with elderly parents. But you see, all these have one thing in common. There's a beginning and there's a middle. And prayerfully, there's a destination. Because you see, we're going to be discussing during this series about spiritual journeys. You see, everybody that's here today, everybody that's watching this message online, everybody that's listening a CD, I just believe, I just have to believe in the name of Jesus that you're on a spiritual journey. You're on a spiritual journey of checking this thing out of Christianity. You're on a spiritual journey of figuring out what your next step is. Or your spiritual journey may be stuck. Your road trip vehicle may be in the ditch. Okay? So through this series this summer, we want to unpack some people that are going on a journey. And we're just praying that you can connect with them and where they're at. And one of the things that I also know is this. You don't go through these one at a time. Many times you may be on different types of road trips together. You may have family challenges and geographic moves. So a lot of times we feel like we're juggling things in our life. Yeah, those, those road trips. So we got to figure it out. So today, here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to go on a road trip with a guy called Naaman. And Naaman starts at point A, which is Damascus or Aram, and he's going to go to Israel, which is about 130 miles away. So we're going to be looking at the life of Naaman. And how we're going to do that is we're going to teach and preach expositorily through 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, if you have your, if you have your uh, uh, yeah, one of those things. Phones. Yeah, you got Bibles on phones now. If you have one of those, open them up. Because here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach through 19 verses. And I hope that we can apply those in road trips to our lives. So here's the warning. I'm going to preach really fast. Okay? And my challenge is for y'all not necessarily to engage in what I say, but engage in God's Word and engage in listening to the Holy Spirit and discovering your next steps or obedience. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram. Now let me just stop right here. Naaman is a general. He's a soldier. And he serves the king of Aram. History tells us this. That his name is Ben-Hadad II. He's the Aramean king. And Naaman, Naaman serves him. So Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram, was, the man, was an important man to his master and highly regarded through him. Now, if you'll notice, I have some 
people highlighted on here. That's going to be important because we're going to look at the different people that you take on the road trip with you. So that's why these names are highlighted. And then it goes on to say that he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, here's the challenge. He, he, for some of us, we may, we may struggle with that. Here's why. Because in Aram, that is a nation, that is a people outside the Jewish nation, outside the nation of Israel. They're non-Jewish. But God, the Lord, had given them victories over Israel. How can we apply that? What can that teach us? God works in the lives of lost people. God works in the lives of people that worship idols. I don't understand that, but here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, at one time, or maybe two, or maybe hundreds, the Holy Spirit worked in you to draw you to a relationship with Jesus. So let's keep going. Verse 2. Aram had gone on raids. Here's what we know, that in the 9th through the 6th century B.C. that the Arameans raided Israel. It was a common thing for them to raid the nation of Israel, for them to, to capture people, for them to rob them and loot them and take the best things back to their country, Aram or Damascus. So we know that happens. We know that happens. So Aram had gone on raids, and he brought back to the land, of, he brought back, from the land of Israel, a young girl who served Naaman's wife. So once again, here's another person, a young girl, who served the wife of this general, this military leader. And she said to her mistress, or the wife of Naaman, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So one of the things that we have to know about Naaman is he has a skin disease. This disease is probably leprosy, but he has a skin disease, but he's a high-ranking official in general in this army. So here's what we need to look at. We just need to look at the people right now. So we have the Lord God. God is the central character of this narrative of this story. It all going to point back to him at the end. Naaman is the central human character in this story. Then we have the king of Aram, we have the young girl, and we have Naaman's wife. We've only read about three verses, and we've already got about five people that are on this road trip with Naaman. Anyone in your sphere of influence, you take with you on the trips that you're on. And that takes us to our first milepost. You see, on a, on a road trip, you have mileposts. You pass mileposts. Road trips involve a community. And that community is everybody that's in your sphere of influence, your family, your friends, your coworkers. Whether you know it or not, you're taking them on this road trip with you. So let's continue. Verse 4. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said to him. His master was the king, the king of Aram. He and then the next verse, verse 5, Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send you a letter. 
I will send with you a letter with you to the king of Israel. Now, the king of, of Israel at this time, history tells us this was Jehoram. And he was going to send a letter. We'll get to that letter in just a second, but that gives us a milepost, number two. Road trips have a purpose. When you sit out on a journey or you find yourself on a road trip or you just discover, hey, man, I'm right in the middle of something bigger than I am. Road trips have a purpose. But here's the thing about purposes. When we start a road trip, many times we have our own purpose that we impose. We, have, we, we believe we know what that destination is. And we're striving for that destination. And you see, Naaman's purpose for his road trip was to explore healing. You see, this guy was at the end of his rope. There was no healing available in Damascus. And he got a little glimmer of hope from a slave girl that served his wife. So road trips have a purpose. Let's keep going. So what did Naaman do? He went and he took 700 pounds of silver. That's about $150,000. And he took 150 pounds of gold. That's about $2.8 million. In 10 sets of clothing. Altogether, he was traveling with what it amounts to is about $3 million. But not only did he have treasures that he was carrying, but he had a letter. He had a letter from the king of Aram. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. And it read, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my sermon, my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. Milepost number three. Road trips have a cost. There may be a sacrifice involved. And we see in Naaman's cost on his road trip, there's money. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of treasure that he's taking with us. But there's also relational equity. And we see a relational equity. Here's what I mean by that. Naaman has a relationship with the king of Aram. The king of Aram has a relationship with the king of Israel. But it's not very good because the king of Aram has led raids and has ransacked villages and took people from Israel. So now the king of Aram is imposing himself on the king of Israel. So road trips have a cost. So let's continue and see what happens in verse 7. And when the king of Israel, once again, this is another character the king of Israel. So when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he asked, am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure this man of this skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight. So when the king of Israel, Jehoram, when he tore his clothes in this culture, this is a sign of distress. This is a sign of Anger, this is a sign of maybe hopelessness because I have no idea what to do because this man has just came from an opposing king, an opposing country, and he said, hey, I've sent my servant Naaman for you to heal him.
And when Elisha, there's another character in our story, Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel has torn his clothes. You see, the, king of, the kings of Israel, they surrounded themselves with prophets. They surrounded themselves with people who knew God because Israel was the people of God. And when the king, and it says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So it says, so Naaman came with horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha. So catch the picture. When we see horses and chariots, that's, that's more than two, okay? There's a bunch of folks. Naaman has soldiers. He has servants. He has attendants. And Elisha has summoned him to his house. And they're all gathered, get the picture, they're all gathered around Elisha's house to hear this word from the prophet. Verse 10. Then Elisha sends him a messenger. Picture this, okay? There's a great crowd. Naaman's crowd, Naaman's crew, Naaman's people, expecting to see the prophet Elisha make a grand appearance. And Elisha stays in the house, and he sends him a messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. Man, that's, that's easy. Basically, the messenger goes and tells this general of this army, this group of people, this leader, says, hey, go down here to the Jordan River, and you take a bath. You take a bath, and by the way, not just a bath, but when you get finished washing off, you dip yourself, you submerge yourself in the water. Seven times. That just sounds easy. So look at Naaman's response. Verse 11. But Naaman got angry, and he left saying, I was telling myself, hey, hey I know you talk to yourself, okay? I talk to myself. I answer myself, okay? A lot of times we have conversations with fictitious people. At least I do. All right? Or we have conversations in our mind with people that we know that we want to have a conversation with. You follow me? So Naaman has brought a preconception to his healing. I was telling myself, he will surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure this skin disease. You know what Naaman thought in his mind was going to happen? Elisha was going to make a grand appearance. 
Elisha was going to wave his arms or wave his wand and say hocus pocus in some magic words. And, Elisha, and, and Naaman was going to be healed. That's what he thought in his mind. He didn't even see the prophet. Elisha sent his messenger to him, to, told him to go take a bath and dip seven times. And Naaman refers back to his home country. And he says, aren't Abadna and Farpar, rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I just have washed in them and be cleaned? And he turned and he left in a rage. He was mad. Road trip. Milepost number four. Road trips involve emotion. And let's identify these emotions that we've just experienced in this passage. The king of Israel was angry that he was asked by another king to heal his general. Elisha's confidence. When Elisha says, hey, why did you tear your robe? Sit down and see me. So Elisha's confidence. Naaman's rage. You see, not only was it rage, it was anger, it was frustration, but check this out. It was pride. Because you see, Naaman wanted to be the center of this healing. He'd already had a crowd assembled. He wanted to be the center of what happened to him. And when it didn't work out, when his destination didn't work out the way he thought it should, and he got mad. Why did he get mad? Because of the pride that he had in his heart. His preconceived message. He was going to be one of the heroes of this story and the recipient of this healing. But he also walked away disappointed. So road trips involve emotion. And here's what I know. This road trip at this point was on the brink of disaster. It was on the brink of running in the ditch. It was on the brink of an all-out war with Israel. But I want you to see what happened next. And it says, but his servants, check it out. Naaman's servants approached him and said, listen to me, these people were subordinates to Naaman. These attendants, these soldiers, these people worked for Naaman. They, he was their boss. So look what happened. But Naaman's servants approached him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you to wash and be clean? So Naaman got mad and killed all his attendants. No, he didn't. You know what Naaman did? This is a leadership lesson. Naaman submitted to his servants. Naaman submitted to his employees. Naaman said, hey, maybe I need to listen to these guys. Apparently they're a lot smarter than I am. So here's what happened. 
So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the man of God. And then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy. And he was clean. Naaman was healed. So check it out. Then Naaman and his whole company, his whole crew, his whole team ends up in front of Elisha's house. So Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God and stood before him and declared, says, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept the gift from your servant. Naaman was ready to give it all to Elisha. So let's go back. Let's go back to milepost number four. Road trips involve emotion. We've got the king's anger, Elijah's confidence, Naaman's rage. But now here's what we have. We have his servant's courage. His servant's courage. But not only do we have his servant's courage as emotions, we see Naaman's humility, we see his submission, and we see his gratitude. You see, Naaman did a 180. He's no longer enraged. He's no longer prideful. You see, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Naaman. Naaman walked in humility. He lived in submission, and he went back to Elisha to show his gratitude. So that takes us to milepost number five. Road trips have final destinations. The final destination, Naaman's healing. Okay, maybe. That's part of it. Final destination, out of Naaman's mouth, God received the glory. And we could stop there. But we can't stop there. You see, there's a whole lot more to this story. There's a whole different destination that we need to look at and uncover. So let's continue. Verse 16. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives, and then in, in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. He wouldn't accept the gifts that Naaman brought. And Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. And then Naaman responded, If not, if not, if you want to accept my gift, please let your servant be given as much soil as the pair of mules can carry. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other gods, but to the Lord. So look, you know what Naaman asked for? Naaman asked for dirt. He asked for soil. He asked for part of the earth around the prophet's house. Because the picture here is this. Naaman just realized who the true God was. And he was going to take that dirt, that soil, that earth, back with him to Damascus as a memorial, as a remembrance of what God did for him. And when he prayed, he was going to get down on his knees on that soil that he brought back from Damascus. 
but we're still not done. Naaman keeps talking. It says, however, in a particular manner, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimmon to bow and worship while he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow in the temple of Rimmon. So here's what Naaman is saying. Hey, when I, when I go back to my boss, when I go back to my king, part of my job is to go with him into this temple of false idols. And I know those idols are dead idols because I've met the one true God. And then Naaman asked the prophet, when I bow in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord pardon or may the Lord forgive your servant in this matter. And Elisha looked at him and he said to him, go in peace. Yeah, you're going to be forgiven. So let's go back. Let's go back to road trip, milepost number five. Yeah, Naaman was healed. God received the glory. But the final destination was Naaman's salvation. Naaman experienced God. He confessed God. He verbally asked for forgiveness. And he committed to be obedient to God. So Naaman's salvation was the ultimate destination. So now what? How do we apply this in our lives here today? We see that takes us back to milepost number one. Road trips involve communities. And we saw all these people. We saw Naaman, the king of Aram, the girl, Naaman's wife. We saw God in verses 1 and 15. But also, what else did we see? We saw the king of Israel. We saw Elisha. We saw the servants and Naaman's whole company. We saw Elisha's messengers. All these people, maybe hundreds, were part of Naaman's road trip. So yeah, road trip involves community. But here's the thing. All these people that we just saw on the screen were witnesses. They witnessed Naaman's salvation. So that takes us to our final mile marker. That's number six. Road trips. Road trips make memories. You see, all of these people that were on this trip with Naaman, they saw that Naaman was healed. They saw that out of Naaman's mouth, he confessed God. They saw out of Naaman's mouth, he accepted and asked for forgiveness. They saw out of Naaman's mouth how he switched from serving a God that's dead in, 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 uh, in Rimmon to the God of Israel. And they saw Naaman's obedience. They saw his obedience to God by looking forward and asking for forgiveness. So many times, so many times we get stuck. We just simply get stuck on road trips. Sometimes we get lost on road trips. Sometimes we drive the car in the ditch. Sometimes we make a left turn instead of a right turn. Sometimes we just can't move. 
when we're stuck on a road trip. But you see, Naaman points, he points us to a memorial. He points us to a place. You see, Naaman can always refer back to when he met God. Naaman could always refer back to when he had that salvation experience with God. And we say it like this at Rockbridge. We call it a base. You see, a base is a foundation. A base is what we can plant ourselves on. And B, B stands for believe. We saw that Naaman says, Now I know that there is no other God in the world except in Israel. He believed. He confessed with his mouth. Next, we see accept. You see, Nathan says, But my Lord, forgive your servant of this one thing. Accept that forgiveness. He realized he was a sinner and he was asking for forgiveness. S stands for switch or surrender. Please let your servant be given as much earth. You see, we identified that Naaman grabbed this dirt to take back with him to Damascus. So he switched from worshiping and serving false idols to the one, one true God. And he expressed his love. He expressed his love through obedience. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant. So he was obedient to God in his future plans. So what does this look like? What does this look like for us now? Where can we return to a base, to a foundation with Christ? You see, there are people in here that have been Christ followers for years. There's some in here that have been Christ followers for months or weeks or days. And there are people in here that have never surrendered and given their lives to Jesus. So here's the thing. How do you find your base or how do you go back to your base? Believe in Jesus. Dead, buried, and raised. You see, belief is more than just saying something. Belief it's like, I believe in Jesus so much, I'm going to rest and put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to sit and trust Jesus. So not only is it believe, but it's accept. Accept the gift of forgiveness. You see, Jesus is there with his hands wide open, with scars in his hands, wanting to forgive you. But you have to ask. You have to receive that forgiveness. Switch your surrender. The church word of that is repentance. You stop serving self. You're going down the road, you're serving self and your sin. You make an about face. And you serve. And you follow Jesus. And yield to the Holy Spirit. And then E is express. Express your love through obedience. What is that? What is express your love through obedience? That's simply this. Once you surrender, once you give up your life, give the steering wheel of your life to Jesus, you're no longer yours, you're, you're, you're his. And he wants you to follow him because he paid the price for your sin debt on the cross. And expressing your love to God or to Jesus through obedience is this. It's discipleship. One of the first steps of discipleship is baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. That's obedience. Expression of obedience, getting plugged into a small group, community. We just learned today how big community is in your life. That was one of our mile markers. Or serving. You see, we saw that Elisha's messenger, 
served his mentor, his teacher, by going out and speaking to Naaman. So there's ways to take next steps. So here's my prayer. My prayer for every person today is simply this. Is that you'll hear God and do what he says. You'll hear God and be obedient to him. Whether it's surrendering and giving your life to Jesus. Or whether it's taking next steps toward him. Because let me tell you something. God didn't save you to sit there and soak. God didn't save you to be a spectator. God saved you for you to get in the game. And if you're here just checking out this Christianity thing, you see, God gave his son just for you. He died just for you. And today can be a memory where you surrender. You give Jesus the steering wheel of your life. And you follow him no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this narrative, this story that you've given to us about Naaman. We worship you, God, that you gave us a picture of community in this story. We thank you that you allowed us to look into the lives of people and see emotions, to see anger, to see courage, to see confidence, to see humility, to see submission, to see surrender. Father, thank you that you allowed us to peek in and see these emotions. And Father, right now, I just want to ask you in the name of Jesus, that for every person here today, God, that they'll be obedient. That they'll be obedient to you, God, that they'll hear you and do what you say. Father, thank you that you've called your followers to be participants and be in the game. And Father, for those who've just realized today that, hey, maybe I've never given my life to Jesus Maybe I've never received forgiveness of sin. God, I pray in the name of Jesus you'll give them a base. You'll give them a foundation. You'll give them a memory today that no matter what road trip they're on, that they'll always be able to run back to that day they surrendered and submitted to Jesus. Father, continue to have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen.